0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on the detail, forestry. It's become a dirty word, at least on the east coast.
1: Huge logs, one
0: after the other, rolling out of the forestry up above us, choking up the river with massive amounts of logs. That's tollaga Bay farmer Bridget Parker in a memorable interview on RNZ's Nine to Noon last week.
1: This is a logging event, just this is what New Zealand doesn't understand. It's one thing to get a cyclone and get water.
0: It's another when the water comes with bloody pine trees attached to it. The government is promising an inquiry, but it's too late for many. Offcuts known as slash are believed to have destroyed Billions of dollars of infrastructure. Pine trees snapped and flattened by Gabrielle, slash piled up on riverbeds and bridges taken out by trees. The carpet of debris is so deep in places you can't see the ground. So what do you do with this $6 billion industry? Can trees be harvested without leaving behind a big mess? And what really is the future for the East Coast? I
2: see it as a the climate change as a war, if you like, like Ukraine the climate is making a war on New Zealand and we have to fight back. We have to protect our people and, and, and we have to protect our land.
0: Mike Smith's been writing about forests for more than 40 years and we'll hear more from him soon. We'll also hear from Scion's principal scientist, Tim Payne, about solutions. But first, what is it like as a forester to see the devastation? Alan Laurie is a South Island forestry consultant and manager.
1: The industry is extremely concerned. These uh, events, of course, are hugely extraordinary in terms of just the sheer volume of water. Um, I think there's been a little bit of misreporting in the media. Um, we know that a lot of the debris coming down is just simply river edge debris, um, including native. But there's no question there is forestry residues in the mix. That's certainly been a wake-up call for forestry. We know that those forests have performed a great service to the region in both economically and in terms of land stability in the intervening thirty years. but there's no question that we really do need to visit you know harvesting practices, determine whether catchment clearfowl is the appropriate um, way to go. Of course, the big question mark we with the forests that are harvested or in the process of what do we replant with? And probably history now tells us that radiata pine may not be the best solution. Certainly over those particularly sensitive catchments and uh, in the headwaters, etc. The challenge is, of course, not only on forest land; they are also on farmland. We've seen massive devastation there. So the question then arises: Well, how do we how do we remedy that or, or slow that process down? And once again. One would have to assume that native species would have to be in that mix. That would take a major investment from government, uh, economically not justifiable from a net return basis.
0: But when you say this is a wake-up call, this isn't the first time though, is it? This has been happening in increasing frequency over the last few years. And there are fears the slash left behind from this flood will cause problems in years to come.
3: When does the next hail hit or the next Gabrielle hit that picks it all up and carts it down and smashes into the new bridges we built?
0: Conservationist Anne Salmond, who lives in Fati, she wrote in a piece in Newsroom at the weekend that people of the East Coast feel betrayed. She's saying that the forestry companies are a powerful lobby group and that the government and the forestry companies just haven't, haven't done anything about it.
1: Of course, one must remember that those forests were planted under an investment framework. In other words, they were planted with the intent that there would be a return on the investment and I guess companies are attempting to realise that investment. The manner in which they're doing is probably the area that needs to be looked at and say, well, uh, and that surrounds harvest practice. So uh, we have to you know, revisit how we do that. And maybe, as I said, clear foul of catchments isn't the way to go. Maybe we should be looking at what we call coop harvesting, which is taking out small areas at a time. All of that is a commercial compromise don't know. The Forest Owners Association uh, have been saying for some time we need to get around the table and find some solutions to the investment versus uh, the destruction that's happening uh, across those lands, which in fact some of the most fragile in the world.
0: Can you explain to me, clear fowl is what when the machines go in there and take down all the trees?
1: Yes, so we talk about clear, uh, new zealand's forestry practices generally involve clear felling a an age class, so when the trees get to thirty years old, if they occupy a complete catchment all all been planted in the same year, then they'd be tend to be harvested you know across the same year uh, in some places in the world, although they tend to be more in natural forests say in Canada and so forth, they have a coop felling regime so they might only take twenty hectares out at a time and those sort of things need to be looked at, but they all have commercial imperatives. How that's all realised, uh, but whilst at the same time looking after the land, is of course a, a huge challenge.
0: Federated Farmers says some companies are good, but many are leaving too much slash behind because it's too expensive to clean up.
3: We've got mostly foreign-based landowners, and they want their money out.
0: The forestry companies have not been portrayed well. There's a suggestion that's because they are overseas companies that don't care about the communities.
1: Oh, I think that's uh, that's a shocking statement. Um, that's uh, just simply not true. These companies, whether they have some overseas investment or not, the people who work those forests are people of the land. They are foresters. Uh, there are people who have an absolute interest in ensuring the longevity of that investment and and the continuance of it. No one can say that a forest company has acted in a way that's been a sort of a rape and pillage mentality. Simply they've been exercising their right to harvest their forests as as they have a right to do. And uh, I think any suggestion that uh, this all been promulgated by inappropriate actions of overseas investors is just total nonsense.
0: But then why has something not been done sooner?
1: I'm not close enough to it, Sharon. Mm. I don't live on the east coast now and, you know, where the actions are. I know the Forest Owners Association have come out very strongly and said we need to we need to get around the table. The Eastland Wood Council Forest Owners Association, yes, we welcome an inquiry because if you have a look at the wording of the petition, it's uh, long-term focused. What is the future of land use in that area? And let's not forget about the sediment that comes down in those rivers and into the sea.
0: Let's hear from Rotorua journalist Mike Smith.
2: What's happening on the East Coast is this generation's a forest. More this now. is our job, and we stick to it. But yeah, well I don't blame you. It. It. It's our living. It's yeah. our living. Yeah. Yeah. You're
3: not doing any good.
2: There's only one way can we can do any good, and that's walk down there and stop those trees from going down. That was in 1978, uh, and I was working for the Waikato Times. That's when people went up uh, to trees in the native forests in Oriora.
0: Which the timber trail is now on, the, the yes. quite famous cycle, beautiful cycle yes. trail.
2: It's beautiful, yeah. But if the uh, then Forest Service and the then government had continued with their policy of cutting down and milling totara uh, and other native forests, those trees wouldn't be there now. And they were a 1,000 years old. So I was just the reporter that went down and covered it. You know, the people like the trees, and they got it stopped. But gosh, it was tough. There have been so many people stand up for Puriore and um,
3: it's, it's the
2: grassroots people of New Zealand that
0: have saved our lowland forests. How does that relate to what's going on now? I mean, do you think that people have to be much more active about stopping what's going on?
2: You know, I don't know about people going up the east coast and climbing up trees, but, I mean, this is all due largely with the, the strength of the climate change events. You know, they've got away with the, the bad practices in the past, but now it's been shown up as a farce, uh, total farce. The environment is fighting back against uh, land production, and uh, cyclones are like climate change battles. We really need a, a Ukraine-type effort to, to save the East Coast. And we're just standing by looking, looking at it uh, being destroyed. So uh, I do think that, you know, they really have to think much, much better about what they can do. Mm. Um, and I say they, the government. Um,
0: and they have announced this inquiry. And
2: it will be an inquiry into land use on highly erodible soils in the Taiarapiti district. So very specific. Time frame for
0: completion, please, if you have it. Uh,
2: I can't give it to you at this point in time. This will not be a drawn-out inquiry, but we do need to make sure it has integrity and all those that are impacted have the ability to feed into it.
0: But that's not going to be an immediate fix, that's for sure. But can we go back, Mike? How did forestry become so big on the East Coast?
2: Forestry became so big on the East Coast... Uh, because initially when that area was settled, the indigenous forest was slashed down. And the, the steep hills and gullies and uh, that, that uh, environment had a very thin soil base. And it just started sliding away. And then Forest Service and others uh, tried to save it, but it became overwhelming. There were papers written about the rehabilitation of the deforested steep slopes of the East Coast. In the end, I think they took, I suppose it's wrong to say, but an easy way out, which was to put a whole lot of plantation trees in there. You know, they did their job uh, to a certain extent. But the problem is, in the 1980s, the government split the Forest Service into two entities, one a business the Forest Corporation and the Conservation Department, which was to look after the trees and so on. But then uh, Forest Service was sold. Bits and bobs of forests were sold to private entities and it's business, so they tried to get as much as they could out of it. And so they managed them so they could actually cut the trees down.
0: So originally it was the government that was planting the trees to try and stop this erosion. Then the land went into private hands? The government sold the land to private owners?
2: Well, they sold the forests uh, to the private owners, whereas all that land uh, should really have been left as a conservation area. It should not have been forested or managed uh, in any way as a financial resource.
0: Mike, in your coverage of this... Yes. Over the years, was nobody warning about it?
2: Oh yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people were warning about it, and uh, I, I should add, um, I was just uh, you know like a journalist, and you know what that's like. You you talk to people, and people talk to you, and quite often they don't want to be on the record. Mm. But I, uh, you know, I'm an ideas guy, uh, so I just had a had a go, and I could see uh, straight away with. You know, Google is fantastic, and Google Earth, it just shows it. There's no lying, you can't, there's no words. It's there in front of you, and it was astounding, and it is astounding. Uh, You know, it is, climate change now has changed the game for the East Coast. They can't muck around anymore.
0: What are the options here? I mean, okay, so say if these forestry companies are compelled to remove the, the slash, what would they do with it?
2: Firstly, I think they would say no, and they'd walk away from the contracts. This is a conundrum. Um, I think that has been put to them. But uh, my understanding is that it's not uh, economical for them to do that. In the end, um, it is the government's responsibility, because the government sold the rights to to cut those trees down, fully knowing that if they cut the trees down, that the disasters are going to happen. So in a way, they could argue in court, I imagine. Hmm. Um yeah they bought houses, whereas, and they did their best efforts.
0: Right, but you could also argue that um they're not taking any responsibility at the moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, this is this is true, but you know, so if we say, oh, the companies have got to do it, yeah, okay, the companies do have to do it, but they weren't contracted to do, you know that wasn't what they bought it for. So contractually, if you could say that they've got no reason to do it, and as bad as that is you know in a holistic viewpoint, it is the reality of business which is that
3: I would just
0: like it to stop. I just want them to um, make sure that their
3: slash is not left where it can go into riverbeds. We need to stop it. Forestry is important, yes, but our community access and community well being of our people, forestry workers as well as farmers, and the general public should be, take priority
0: Alan. You know, is there still a future for forestry companies on the east coast if if the the harvesting methods were changed?
1: This is all in the entwine, isn't it? And and um, one must remember that the forests that are now being harvested were really planted under a former regime. In fact, some of the. The uh, younger of those were planted by the old New Zealand Forest Service Mm. and the Forest Service was charged with the responsibility of going and planting substantial areas of trees in an attempt to avert the rapid erosion that was starting to occur. In hindsight, of course, uh, maybe commercial forests weren't the best option for some of those areas and those lessons need to be taken on board and forest practice uh, changed. Yes, there'll always be a place for commercial forestry on the East Coast, and and uh, there are many, many people on the East Coast who rely on that industry for their income, and we need to preserve that as well, but we need to do it in a way which obviously doesn't have the catastrophic impacts that we've seen. There's another element to this, and that is that there are no industries on the East Coast that utilise some of the forest waste and in other parts of New Zealand. We're seeing what we call residues being used in boilers for energy. That is not immediately available to forest owners on the east coast through the lack of market. So one of the solutions, of course, would be for, again, perhaps with some government intervention and investment, to establish boiler systems which can utilise wood waste, and that would ensure that that wood waste ultimately run the risk of finishing up uh, entering waterways. So,
0: burning the waste for energy is one option, but what else?
3: It's a phenomenal industry. It has some challenges.
0: Tim Payne's search for solutions has taken him around the world to look at forests on steep slopes.
3: Well, I suppose there's the economic benefits, but then you've got your other benefits as well in terms of slope stabilisation when you're not harvesting. Things like biodiversity, there's a lot of rare and endangered species in within forests. Um, the opportunity to look at different products, things like chemicals and replacing fossil fuels, energy. It's a very exciting area and definitely it's a great industry for New Zealand. And we're very good at it too. It's just that uh, we always need to improve, especially under climate change impacts and, you know, as, as things change dramatically. We do need to think about adaptation and change. I mean, there's been a lot of thinking going on.
0: Yeah, but that's, uh, but that's just, what I yeah. know, Tim. And that's the thing. I mean, I think people really struggle to understand why it's still going on, why the harvesting is still going on around the East Coast. It has been going on for years. So why is it? why is it continuing as it always has
3: done? probably a, probably a range of range of reasons forestry in the region is on steep slopes as you know forestry is a good sort of local employer basically it's a business as well forestry is part of the region and it's still going on but I there have been a lot of improvements over the years and, you know, they've been since 2018 putting things in place to sort of minimise risk, but it's it's a risk management thing.
0: Yeah, can I ask you what? Because, again, it doesn't feel like anything has changed. It doesn't feel like anything has been put in place to mitigate it. So can you give me an idea of what has been put in place since 2018?
3: Well certainly there's, there's there've been a number of initiatives I don't get out in the forest as much as I could or should but companies are definitely looking at not harvesting some areas which are extreme risk they're looking at protecting riparian areas by uh, planting planting up there's one big initiative an east coast forestry project will see native forest barriers planted along the coast to protect
2: waterways in future storms.
3: Aratu Forests who are, who are planting riparian zones basically putting um I suppose it's a biological trap really. It's buffering the rivers and and the waterways from any slash that's still on the hill. The other thing is looking at slash traps. So the ability to put traps into waterways which are like mesh nets which uh, trap the debris if, if as long as you clean them out, you know, you can actually slow and move things. And the other thing as well is is looking at where the risks are, where the slash is, and then sort of moving it and making sure it's out of the high-risk areas. So
0: these steps, have they made any kind of difference this time around?
3: Short answer, I don't know, uh, but it would be very interesting to, to, to have a look. And these, these sorts of events, it depends where the rain is, depends on the high risk and so on and so forth. But having a look at what's been done and uh, in, in, uh, maybe as part of the, uh, the review that's um, proposed to sort of see well where are the where have the major benefits been have slash traps worked have they decreased the impacts and, and then continue to build on that.
0: So Cyan has been involved in what are coming up with some solutions which it sounds like they have been put in place.
3: Yeah I suppose what's the next step there's a, there's a number of agencies involved. We did a big piece of work back in about 2014, 15, where we started to look at different regimes and different ways of managing forests. Now, one of the things is is around uh, the economics of forestry. So if you're looking at some of these new harvesting approaches, uh, they're quite different. They might need different equipment. They might produce less. There might be lower productivity. So starting to work that into the economics of things, you have to sort of then start balancing the environmental, your economic, and also your social side of you know, how you're going to operate your forest in the future. Tim,
0: it's just, I think it's really difficult for people to see that they are doing anything responsibly. And if, and if you hear from local people, I, I don't know if you heard the Toluga Bay farmer, Bridget Parker. She was talking to Catherine Ryan on 9 to Noon. I mean, she's at the end of her tether because mm. the forest waste just keeps coming. You know, is it is it so frustrating for you when you've obviously put a lot of time and expertise into trying to come up with solutions?
3: Um, it is. Things are continually improving, but I think we're at a place in terms of, you know, climate change adaptation and increasing intensity where, you know, the review that's been proposed um, to look at, you know, how things do operate... Um, is going to be very, very important. Mm. Um, And being able to say, right, what's some of the new science? Uh, A wee while ago, we actually went off and looked at how people were managing steep lands in in Japan, in South America, uh, in Switzerland, uh, just to see, you know, what they were doing, how they were doing it, what sort of regimes they were using. So there's a lot of knowledge to build on. And I think it's a question of sort of, sitting down, getting everybody around the table and and actually saying, right, is there something dramatically different? But in the short term, what are some of the real sort of things we can do?
0: So with all that in mind, with what you know and what you've seen in other parts of the world, what do you think is the best solution for the East Coast? Should it be returned to forest that isn't harvested?
3: I think certainly there are areas that you definitely should. You know, that won't stop debris and things tree slides are one of the sort of disturbance regimes in natural forests in new zealand as well so uh, yeah there are probably areas that you would want to do permanent i mean the challenge is then how do you keep communities going the economy um what would people like to see the region looking like in the future so what
0: about turning it all into national park in the mold of Order forest here's alan laurie again
1: If we're talking national park status, you're talking about the whole of the East Coast, not just the areas that are currently covered in commercial forests. Uh, That would have to be a major investment by government, and I'm not sure that um, taxpayers would have an appetite for that.
0: With climate change, well, this is one part of the country, but does it make you think in the South Island that you should look at things differently as a forester?
1: At this stage, now, in terms of the business I 'm involved with, which tends to be smaller scale forestry, so we look after you forests generally from you know that are less than a thousand hectares, so they 're not massive forests um, such as you see on the east coast. No, and in Canterbury, or for many parts of the South Island now, you have forest residue uh, sales opportunities and there's a decreasing amount of residue left on the hillsides because it's now put down the throat of boilers and that will only increase. And one would hope that that could eventually uh, be the case in uh, in the Gisborne area. And everywhere else we can develop use systems to ensure that uh, there is not the same degree of forest waste left and that's what's caused some of our issues on the East Coast.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The Detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Jeremy Ansell is our engineer for today and Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison, our producers. And thanks to Alan Laurie, Tim Payne and Mike Smith. Kakiti anō.